Here's a few quick notes about the show. Southern Girl Crime Stories is a podcast focused mostly on lesser-known true crime cases, consisting of cold cases, soft cases, identified Jane and John Doe's, along with missing persons and murder victims. You can follow the show on social media, on Instagram at Southern Girl Crime Stories, on Twitter at SG Crime Stories, or search Facebook for Southern Girl Crime Stories. Please be sure to check out my YouTube channel for these stories along with photos of victims, suspects, locations of murders, and more. Cynthia Dawn Kenny was born on January 17, 1960, and went by Cindy. At the age of 16, Cindy lived in Osage, Oklahoma, and worked at the Osage laundromat that her aunt and uncle owned. She was an 11th grade student and cheerleader at her high school and was described as a kind and artistic person. On June 23, 1976, witnesses said she left the laundromat at 9.30 a.m. and got into a faded beige 1965 Plymouth Belvedere with two people. One witness said the two people were a man and a woman, and another said they were two women in their 20s. After getting into the car, she was never seen alive again. After her disappearance, Cindy's purse, a half-eaten donut, and a drink were found at the laundromat. Several people reported seeing Cindy traveling around southern Kansas with a religious group. However, authorities were never able to confirm the sightings. A man by the name of Hobart Green was reportedly seen with Cindy minutes before she disappeared, but the sighting wasn't reported until 1991. In 1986, Hobart pleaded guilty to second-degree murder in the death of his baby son. He's also a suspect in the 1961 disappearance of his ex-wife, Maxine Beatrice Green. Her body was never found, and Hobart has never been charged in her case, but the couple's daughter, 12 years old at the time, said she witnessed her father murder her mother and bury the body. Investigators have never said whether or not he's a suspect in Cindy's disappearance. In 2023, Dennis Rader, the BTK serial killer, said he was interviewed twice about Cindy's disappearance. Raider's daughter would note that Cindy's apparent abduction didn't resemble her father's M.O., which involved stalking and home invasion attacks. What makes him a suspect in her case, though, is one of the many cryptic notes he wrote in his journal. One of his 1976 entries was titled PJ, which is short for Project Bad Wash Day. He then went on to write that he would watch a nearby laundromat for a possible victim and that his target was a brunette. He was also allegedly working in Osage in 1976, where he may have installed security systems at a bank near the laundromat where Cindy was last seen. In December 2022, Cindy's case was reopened, and on August 22, 2023, authorities searched Raider's former Park City, Kansas property in Wichita for clues related to both Cindy's disappearance and the 1990 unsolved murder of Shauna Beth Garber in Missouri. As of 2023, Cindy has never been found, and this case remains unsolved. There was such a tragedy. The memories are still there, and I guess they will always haunt me, because, you know, people screaming and people bleeding, and 
just like a war zone. On April 9, 1947, a monstrous F-5 tornado was making its way across Texas, heading directly toward Woodward, Oklahoma. Unfortunately, the town's telephone operators were on strike, leaving the 5,500 residents without any warning of the impending doom. The tornado was moving at 46 miles per hour, was two miles wide, and had 200-mile-per-hour winds. When the tornado hit Woodward, it basically destroyed more than 100 blocks of the city, injured 1,000 people, and left 107 dead. The Croft family, who lived in the town, ran a successful sheep ranch and had also been affected by the storm. The mother of the family, 26-year-old Cleta Croft, was a telephone operator, and she was married to Hutchinson Croft, who went by Olin. They had two daughters, 8-year-old Geraldine, who went by Jerry, and 4-year-old Joan Gay. Sadly, Cleta would not survive this horrific tornado. Olin was critically injured and rushed to the Oklahoma City Hospital, leaving Joan and Jerry behind. A neighbor found the girls and took them to the Woodward Hospital around 9.30 p.m. Since they weren't seriously injured, besides a 10-inch-long pencil-sized splinter in Joan's left leg, they were placed on cots in the basement. The girl's Aunt Ruth had also survived the tornado and went out in search of her family. She discovered her sister Cleta was dead and was told that her nieces were at the hospital. Upon arriving, she found the girls in the basement of the hospital and told them their father was alive, but lied and said she didn't know where Cleta was. Once she knew her nieces were safe, she went back outside and finally found her mother and brother. Since the hospital was without power and at full capacity, she and her brother decided to take their seriously injured mother 10 miles east to the Moreland Hospital. The next morning, when Ruth arrived back at the hospital, she found Jerry, but Joan was strangely nowhere to be found. That's when Jerry told her that two men in khaki military-type uniforms with an unknown company logo came and took Joan away from the hospital. Ruth then inquired with a nurse who confirmed Jerry's account. The nurse said she thought Joan was being taken to the hospital in Oklahoma City. Ruth then learned that multiple children who survived had been taken by train or plane to different hospitals around the state. However, after checking multiple hospitals around Oklahoma City, Joan was still nowhere to be found. Less than a week after the tornado, there were still three unidentified bodies, one of which bore a striking resemblance to Joan. Ruth was asked to bring some of Joan's clothing to the mortuary to see if they fit, but they didn't, and so they concluded it wasn't Joan. She then insisted on seeing the victim herself, just so she could be sure, and upon seeing the body, she felt certain it wasn't Joan. Joan was then reported missing, and a search began with law enforcement checking orphanages, farms, and homes throughout the country, but it never led to Joan's whereabouts. Eventually, Olin recovered from his injuries and continued searching for Joan. He spent months going from town to town, posting missing person flyers and placing ads on local radio shows. He eventually remarried and had two more children, but never gave up on finding his daughter. He sadly passed away in 1986 at the age of 81. The identities of the two men still remain unknown, but it's said they specifically asked for the Croft children. Some theorize that the men were part of a child-stealing ring that would kidnap kids and sell them to wealthy families. One of those rings was the Tennessee Children's Home Society, run by Georgia Tan. 
Tan would take the children and travel with them to places such as New York and Los Angeles and sell them for a high price. She was even known to kidnap children to sell. It's estimated that Tan snatched around 5,000 children during her lifetime, 500 of whom died in her care. Tan would never be prosecuted because she died of cancer three days after her illegal practices were made known to the governor. Sadly, it's now been over 70 years since Joan was last seen, and as of 2023, this case remains unsolved. Kendra Nicole Botello, a member of the Muscogee tribe, was born on August 24, 1997. At the age of 24, Kendra lived in Enid, Oklahoma, where she and her boyfriend were renting a room in a house at 1402 West Randolph Avenue from 52-year-old Tanya Dixon Glasgow. On July 5, 2022, Kendra allegedly spoke to her mother on the phone around midnight. That would be the last time they ever spoke. Five days later, on July 12th, with no word from Kendra, her family reported her missing. I want to note that I saw two conflicting dates of when she disappeared. Some sites say July 5th, while others say July 7th. I will explain later why this date is important. On July 20th, a person in Pawnee, Oklahoma, reported that someone knocked on their door and asked for a glass of water. The next day, after learning about Kendra's disappearance, she called the police and informed them of the encounter on the 20th because the woman who knocked on her door resembled the missing woman. At the time of her disappearance, Kendra was dating a man named Colby Shepard. Colby was previously married to a woman named Jessica, whom he shared a five-year-old son with. However, they separated in October 2019 due to allegations of domestic violence. A month before Kendra vanished, she also allegedly filed a domestic violence report against him. Colby's bond hearing was only a few days before she vanished. On July 6th, the day before she disappeared, Kendra's grandmother, Lillian Rays, went by Kendra's home at 11.30 p.m. and saw Colby there. She stayed for about 30 minutes and then left. After leaving, Lillian received a strange message from Kendra saying that her landlord, Tanya, had accused Lillian of stealing her dog and was retaliating by forcing Kendra to move out. As you can see, there is a lot of confusion about who last saw Kendra and on what days. To me, this seems like the last sighting of Kendra, and if her grandmother left after midnight, it would be considered July 7th. Kendra had suffered from mental health issues and substance abuse in the past, but her family says she's never gone more than a few days without contacting them. She was also known to be very active on social media. On top of that, her boyfriend Colby had spent several years in prison for stolen property and drug-related charges. It's also strange that he was in the middle of the domestic violence court case when Kendra disappeared. Then, after she went missing, the charges against him were dropped. Funny how that worked out. Colby remains a suspect in Kendra's disappearance, but as of 2023, she's never been found, and this case remains unsolved. Lisa Karen Addington was born on January 14, 1962, and grew up in Tulsa, Oklahoma. She was described as a kind, young woman who was always upbeat with a great sense of humor. At the age of 22, Lisa lived in Dallas, Texas with her fiancé, Donald Bushnell. 
Lisa and Donald were set to be married in Tulsa on May 26, 1984. However, they were unable to get their marriage license in Tulsa because Donald was missing the correct identification, which caused an argument. So he stayed behind in Dallas, and she went on to Tulsa. So on the night of May 15th, Donald was still in Dallas getting a new ID and his birth certificate while Lisa went out with friends in Tulsa for her bachelorette party. The group of friends ended up at the Great Escape Club at 21st and Garnet. At midnight, Lisa's friends decided to leave, but she stayed behind, saying she would catch a ride home. When her friends left, they saw her talking with an unknown white man about six feet tall, weighing around 160 pounds. After leaving, her friends would never see her again. After being reported missing the next day, a detective informed Donald, who didn't seem too concerned, which struck the detective as odd. Some feel Donald might be involved, but it's unclear if he's even a suspect. Investigators initially looked at Gary Allen Walker, a man who killed five people in Oklahoma in May of 1984. 30-year-old Gary was six feet tall with long brown hair and a mustache. However, when investigators reached out, he refused to be interviewed. Gary was eventually convicted of those five murders and died by lethal injection in 2000. Unfortunately, it's now been 39 years since she went missing, and as of 2023, this case remains unsolved. Cheryl Lynn Jackwood was born on January 28, 1956, in Dallas, Texas. In 1999, 42-year-old Cheryl was living in a trailer in Stillwell, Oklahoma with her dogs but didn't have a phone and had to use the one at the nearby grocery store. Those who knew her said she had an infectious personality and was known for her red lipstick and her perfectly starched designer cowgirl bootcut jeans. She also loved the racetrack and was known around the racetrack scene. On June 23, 1999, Cheryl went to her mother Martha's house in Oklahoma City to borrow some money. When Cheryl showed up, Martha and Cheryl's sister Judy noticed she had a severe large cut on her lower back and a deep cut on the instep of her right foot. When asked what the injuries were from, Cheryl said that she and her boyfriend got into a fight and fell into a glass-top coffee table. They insisted she go to the ER, but she refused. It appears that Cheryl was accustomed to the abuse by her boyfriend, so this was nothing new to her. A week later, on July 3rd, Cheryl's 14-year-old daughter, Lindsay, who lived with her father in Pennsylvania, called the grocery store looking for her mother, but no one had seen her. Later that day, Cheryl called her mother from an unknown number in Fort Smith, Arkansas, and said she would be coming back to Oklahoma City to repay the money she borrowed. However, after hanging up, she was never heard from again. She was known for falling out of contact with her family for short periods of time, which could have contributed to the drug-using, rough crowd she and her boyfriend were hanging around. It's unclear if Cheryl herself was using drugs. However, her family figured she was dealing with legal troubles and was choosing not to communicate with them because of it. It was later learned that she was out on bond and had made a payment to a bondsman by the name of Rick Doherty in Stillwell. It's unclear what she was arrested for. However, she failed to show up for her court hearing on September 9, 1999. In January 2000, a family friend called Martha and expressed their condolences, saying they heard Cheryl was dead. 
They tried to reach Cheryl, but were unable to, and quickly reported her missing. Cheryl's other sister, Candy, and her husband, Bill, went to Cheryl's last known address in Stillwell. Once there, they found her trailer in disrepair, as if no one had been there in a long while. Cheryl's dogs were still on the property, but had not been fed or taken care of. Inside the trailer, they found all her belongings, but her Datsun pickup truck was missing and has never been found. Authorities launched a search, but found no clues to her whereabouts. As of 2023, she's been missing for 24 years, and her case remains unsolved. Thanks for joining me today on Southern Girl Crime Stories. Please be sure to check out my YouTube channel for these stories, along with photos of victims, suspects, location of murders, and more. As always, your support is very much appreciated, and I look forward to seeing y'all next time.